0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Hey, uh, this has been a strange year. This has been a strange year. 2021. I think you've probably heard that a hundred times. We could preached 20 sermons on the year that 2021 was. But today we're launching a brand new series and over the next 5 weeks you guys are going to get fairly familiar with this box in a whole bunch of different ways. But 2020 has been a year of limitation. Like it'd be good I think if we could just all carry a box like this around with us. Like just don't come within the sphere of this block box and we'll all be safe. Like church feels strange having to sit distant I'm, I'm getting a little bit more used to it now but Having you all sit at a distance from each other, greeting people with an elbow tap rather than a handshake or a hug, it's all really different. Some of you are loving the fact that there's a 1.5 metre barrier around you that no one can hug you. It just gets rid of all those pesky people that just don't get your personal space issues. But it's been a year of limitation. There's been so many things that we haven't been able to do. There's places we can't go. Some of you have had international trips that have been cancelled. Some of you have had interstate trips that have been cancelled. There was a season where you had inter-suburban trips cancelled. It's been a year of limitation. But over these next five weeks, we're going to look at a series that we've just titled No No Limits. Because just as we've lived with some of the limitations that 2020 has brought, some of us carry into our understanding and into our practice limitations that we place on God. Both in our understanding of who God is, but also in the way that we encounter Him and interact with Him. Whether it's a limitation that we place on our understanding or sense of God's power. Maybe because of your experience, your background, the way that God did or didn't answer a prayer that you prayed. You have created a limitation in your experience and your understanding of God's power. Maybe it's a limitation to God's forgiveness. You think forgiveness is a great concept and it's something that God makes applicable to everybody but you. Because if God knew your story, or well, God does know your story, but you've believed that there's a limitation on how far his forgiveness may go. Maybe you've come to believe there's a limitation on God's provision. Now, God gives to us generously without limit. And so these next five weeks, we're going to talk about some of the limits that we place on God, some of the limits that we place on ourselves in the way that we encounter God. And I believe that as part of this, God is going to break apart some of the things that have stood in the way from us walking wholly into his power, his healing, and his freedom. Today, I'm going to talk to you, though, as Jimmy has sung, about the depth Of God's love. And I want to talk to us about the fact that there is no limit to God's love. And to do that, I'm going to take us to an Old Testament story that some of you may know. I can't remember speaking on this, so the first time that I've spoken about it in this church, but it comes from the first of what they call the minor prophets. Now, they're not minor because they're any less important than the major prophets. It's just in the biblical story, their accounts are shorter. And look, with all the feedback I get, most people like it when people talk shorter. So we should like the minor prophets. You know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they just all waffle on for forever. But we get to these guys, they're succinct in their account. So the first of these is a guy by the name of Hosea. And if you are familiar with any of the prophetic writings of the scripture, you go into the Old Testament, you become familiar with the prophetic writings. A lot of it's poetic and metaphorical and all these great pictures. But woven into this series of poems that is gathered together for us in the book of Hosea is the most incredible story. Let me take you to the very start of Hosea chapter 1. And before I read the scripture, let me set some of the context. Hosea was a prophet alongside with other prophets like Jonah, Joel, and Amos that prophesied. Their writings came together through the time of of King Jeroboam II, who was the king of Israel, around about 750-odd years before the time of Christ. Now, Jeroboam was in power for around 40 years, 41 years. And we don't hear a lot historically about Jeroboam II, other than the Bible says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. When you read the account of the ancient kings, many of them are commended for living the commands and decrees of the Lord. Many are just said to have done evil in the sight of the Lord. Of the Lord. Now, Jeroboam the second was the king of Israel. Now, just a little bit of history. We think of Israel as this great and mighty power, probably because if we've grown up in the church, we read about Israel, Israel, Israel. But Israel, in the political and geographic landscape of the day, wasn't that significant a nation. They were often overshadowed by the might of some of the empires around them. You know, God didn't choose the most powerful nation by which to reveal Himself. He actually chose one of the smaller and somewhat weaker nations if we're going to compare them to the strength of others. But there was a time in Israel's history where the kingdom split. So if you're reading the scripture and suddenly you start reading all these different names, understand that politically, Israel split in two, into two kingdoms. Now the northern kingdom retained the name Israel and the southern kingdom, which was smaller, retained the name, or took the name Judah. So when you're reading the Old Testament, you you read about Israel and Judah, it was all Israel that was split in two, the northern and the southern kingdom. Judah had a capital city that we know, Jerusalem, and the northern kingdom, Israel, ended up with a capital city known as Samaria. So Jeroboam II is the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and the Bible just tells us that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. If we read the other prophetic works around Jeroboam II, we see, though, that his reign actually was marked by a time of significant prosperity in the nation of Israel or in the northern kingdom. Like their borders expanded. They took back land that had been taken from them. And there was a lot that was quite prosperous about the reign of Jeroboam II. But as we should know, just because a nation is going so well doesn't mean that the spiritual and moral compass of the nation is going so well. And the prophets talk to both the moral and the spiritual corruption of the northern kingdom of Israel. It talks about injustice, that the rich keep stealing and taking from the poor, that the social divide is growing. It talks about how they keep neglecting to live by the law of God. They don't listen to the things that God calls them to do and they start living their own way. They worship a whole myriad of other gods and set up temples and places of worship to other ancient gods. And they involve themselves in all the practices that were often attached to the worship of these ancient gods, like sexually promiscuous practices and and sacrifice, a whole bunch of messed up stuff. You see, even though there was so much to look on to say things are going okay, the moral and spiritual compass of the nation was completely whacked. And it's into this context that God speaks to Hosea and asks him to do something incredibly different. Listen to the start of the story. We we, we don't jump straight into the poet. We jump straight into the narrative, actually what happened. Hosea 1 verse 2 and 3. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute. Or in other versions, a promiscuous woman. So that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. Now parents, can you imagine if your child came to you and said, Mom and Dad, God has just spoken to me and told me to go marry a prostitute. That's what he tells Hosea to do. And God says, This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshipping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. Now, I'm not going to read the whole narrative, but it goes on and they have two other children, a daughter and another son, and each of them is given a name of great significance. That uh, Names in the ancient world, the meaning mattered something. So the name of all of Hosea and Gomer's children Means something. But God says to Hosea, Hosea, I want you to go and marry a promiscuous woman. All those that have studied Hosea, it's hard to know whether she was actually promiscuous before they got married or whether it's because of where she came from. We don't actually know the full details, we just know that God asked her to marry this woman, and then in the story, it takes a crazy turn. You see, why does God want him to marry Goma? Because God wants this to be a symbol to his people. That mirrors the relationship that he has with them at the time. See, God's relationship with Israel was wrapped up in a very significant biblical concept named, known as covenant. God had created a covenant with the people of Israel. Now, a covenant wasn't just a handshake deal. It wasn't just an agreement. It was that, but so much more. You see, a covenant attached to covenant was a relationship that had some boundaries attached to it, that had a lean in by both sides. And the covenant that God creates with the nation of Israel is an incredible one. Because God says really Israel you've got not a lot to offer me but I because of my grace am going to choose you to be my people. And here's how it goes. Israel I want you to live life the way I want you to live. I want you to obey my commands. I want you to worship no other gods but me. I want you to love each other. And we could go into all the Old Testament law but we're not going to do it. But God says here's the boundary of the covenant. Live within that And here's my promise to you. You'll be my people. I'll prosper you. I'll protect you. All those great nations that surround you will not overcome you while ever you live within the bounds of the covenant. It was a promise of protection, a promise of prosperity, and a promise of intimacy. The greatest human example of covenant that we know in our time is marriage. It's not just a good idea. It's not just an agreement that you enter lightly. Coming with the covenant of marriage is a promise and a commitment to the other party. It was similar in the way that God covenanted himself with the people of Israel. And so God says to Hosea, I want you to live out a really powerful picture of the way that this covenant is going. And so I want you to go and find a woman who is unfaithful and promiscuous and I want you to marry her. And then the story goes on to tell us that Gomer, after they've had three children, ends up in the company of another man. Living with another man, sleeping with another man. And here's the reality of covenant, right? When a covenant is broken, what's the expectation? There is no expectation. So when Israel breaks the covenant that God had made with them, What's God to do with that? Well, God doesn't have to do anything with that. God is well within his rights to go, you didn't keep up your end of the bargain, so go and get lost. I'll find someone else. I'm out. No more protection, no more prosperity, no more goodness. I'm gone. You're up to your own devices. You see, God had no obligation to Israel when they broke the bounds of the covenant. Just as in this story, Hosea has no ongoing obligation to Goma when she chooses to break the covenant of marriage and go and shack up with another man. The covenant is done. It becomes void. They've forfeited the good things that God had offered. See, Israel walked away believing that there was something better believing in their own devices and their own gods. And Goma walks away from her husband, Hosea, and goes and finds something that she perceives as better, shacking up with another man. But here is the most incredible story you will ever read. God says to Hosea, Hosea chapter 3, Then the Lord said, Go and love your wife again. If you're married, here, put yourself in this picture. Your partner has gone and they've taken off with someone else. And then God comes to Hosea and says, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. Even though the people have turned to other gods and they love to worship them. So, Hosea says, I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Again, context in here, but Hosea had to go and pay the price to redeem his bride. Now, if you've got any uh, faith heritage, you know that there's a pretty good preach in that. The God tells Hosea to go and pay the price to redeem his bride his bride. There's something that God wants us to know and that I need you to know this morning. And it's this, that the love of God is more powerful than anything else in this world. The the love of God makes no sense compared to anything else in this world. The love of God is deeper than anything else in this world. And so as we move to the conclusion of the story in Hosea, well, not the conclusion, as we move to this picture of God's love, this conclusion that God's love is deeper than anything else in the world, there's a challenge that we can often just jump straight there. But I just want us to sit in the mess for a little bit because the mess matters if we're fully going to understand the depth of God's love. And the book of Hosea and the story of Hosea reminds us of a couple of really important things. And it's this, number one, God grieves when we rebel against him. God grieves when we rebel against him. In this book of Hosea, he outlines it in the story of a marriage relationship. And he says, Hosea, the grief that you feel as your wife abandons the covenant she's made with you and goes aligns herself with another lover. That is the same grief that I feel when my people walk away from the things that I've given them and go and align themselves with other things. The grief that God feels when we abandon his way is deep. Later in the story, in the poetic part, God speaks about how he sees Israel like a parent and a child. He helps us understand the depth of his grief. He says this, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called to him, the further he moved from me. Offering sacrifices to the images of Baal and burning incense to idols. I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand. But he doesn't know or even care that it was I that took care of him. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from his neck and I myself stooped to feed him. God gives us some very real human pictures to understand the grief of his love when we reject him. He says just like a lover who is betrayed by their spouse, just like a parent who is rejected by their child, so is the grief of God when we choose to reject his ways. Not just the rejection and the rebellion, but God grieves when we become content with lesser things. One of the greatest charges against Israel in this whole book and throughout all the prophets is that they allowed their heart to become overcome with the worship of other gods. And God says in the most incredible verse, Hosea 8, Israel has rejected what is good and an enemy will pursue him. They set up kings without my consent. They chose princes without my approval. With their silver and gold, they make idols for themselves to their own destruction. Samaria, throw out your calf idol. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of purity? They are from Israel. Listen to this. This calf, a metal worker has made it. God says you are giving up the worship of the King of Kings, the Ancient of Days, the Living God for something that's been fashioned by human hands. The grief of God is so deep when we choose to align our heart with things that are fashioned by human hands or empty promises that come from this life that are not things that are fabricated by humanity. God says, You gave up the relationship that I offered you with the Living God, the Creator of all things, and you bow your knees to that which is fashioned. human hands, a calf, an image of a calf that's just welded together by a metal worker. That's where it's come to. God grieves when we choose to become content with lesser things than he. God knows so deeply how good it is when we experience all that he is and all that he has. Yet so often we trade it for lesser promises. Most of us aren't bowing our knees to calves that are welded together by metal workers. We don't live with the same kind of idol worship in the sense of temples and idols through our homes here. But many of us bow our knee to lesser things, to things that have become gods for us. And a god is anything that becomes the ultimate thing in your life. It can become a career, a relationship. It can become wealth. It can become a possession. Because anything that you fashion that takes on greater significance in your life than God. God grieves and we become content with lesser things because he knows how good it is when we embrace all that he has. Finally, God grieves and we turn to our own strength and resource instead of his. Hosea chapter 10, verse 13. God says, you have planted wickedness and have reaped evil, but you have eaten the fruit of deception because you have depended on your own strength and on your many worries. You know, God is saying, you know, you've, you've actually gone to believing that because things are going okay, you made it happen. So Israel, this small nation, has started to become dependent on their own military export, ex- exploits and their own military might. You know, one of the greatest dangers in our faith and one of the greatest dangers in our relationship with Jesus comes when everything's going well. Because when everything falls apart, that's when you need God, right? But when everything's going well, we allow ourselves the narrative that says, I've done all right here. Look at what I've created. Look at what my hard work has afforded me. Suddenly, when things are going all right, we turn the narrative on its head. We stop giving gratitude to God and we start giving gratitude and praise to ourselves. See, some people think that the greatest time of challenge in our faith is when everything falls apart. Sometimes it's when everything falls apart that we decide and determine our need for God is greatest. The greatest danger for some of you is that everything's always going to be going okay. And God's always going to be left in a box on the sideline of your life only to be called on when something is out of your control. But God never wants to be left in the box. The greatest danger for some of us in our faith is when everything is going well. That's so God says to Israel. Things are going well. So suddenly you start depending on the relationships you've built with other nations, he says. Some of you, you're now leaning into the relationships. History tells us that not that many years later, those relationships turn. sour and Israel gets overwhelmed and led into exile and things get blown up and destroyed like it's a messy time of history coming up for the people of Israel. But right now, they're leaning into the relationships they've built. They're leaning in to their own might and their own strength. You know, God grieves when we start to take credit for that which goes well in our life. But let me bring you back to the heart of God. Let me read it again. God says to Hosea, go and love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. It's the one thing you need to write down, tweet, copy into your phone, take away from today when someone asked you on Wednesday what was preached about at church and you go yeah it was a good message but I can't remember what he said, that's usually what I tell people on Wednesday, what they ask me, what I talked about, it was a really good message, I can't remember what I preached on this is the thing I want you to write down, that God's love and God's grace is more powerful than anything else in this world, actually God's love and God's grace is more powerful we invest in high-tech props here at all, <laughs> Then Than your past. God's love and God's grace is more powerful than your past. You know, I reckon there's a whole bunch of us that have let our past become the limitation for how we encounter God. If we think about our own story, if we think about the things that we failed in, We think about the places that we've let others down. We've let God down, the sin in our life. It's our past that becomes the limitation on how we encounter and how we experience God. And so as we think about God's love, we accept it only to a degree because we think, if God really knows my story, it's amazing how many people say this, yeah, God's really loving, but if you knew my story, you think that your story is so much greater than other people's story. If God only knew your story. You know, I believe many of us let our past become the limitation. It becomes a barrier between us receiving and experiencing the things of God. It becomes a barrier between us fully embracing the depth of God's love for us. I think for many of us, our past actually becomes a barrier that stops us from fully relating with others from entering into community, from being honest and vulnerable and allowing ourselves to step fully into relationship with others. Maybe your past is the thing that right now is the barrier that's stopping your marriage or your family going to a deeper intimacy. So many of us have created a limitation in our life from our past. It gets in the way of our relationship with God, gets in the way of our relationship with others. And the narrative of the past is the narrative that says, oh, I am not worthy. I'm not worthy. You see, so here's something really important to know about our past. The things that are part of your past story cannot be changed. And you know it, because some of you have got some things in your past, might have been last week, might have been last month, might have been 45 years ago. And you've replayed that so many times in your mind. You think about it at night. You wonder how you could go back and change it. You're waiting for a time machine to be built because everything, your brain says, oh, I was so stupid. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I pick up that phone? Why did I click on that website? Why did I turn up to that house? Why did I accept that gift? Why did I choose X? But whatever that story is for you, it can't be changed. You can't go back and change the circumstances. But there's one thing that can be changed. God has the capacity to change the power that the past has on your future. You can't change the events of the past, but God has the power to change the effect that it has on your future. And God, by His love, can break apart the limitations that we place on him because of our past. You know, some of us try and deal with our past by ignoring it, pretending it didn't happen. We become someone different to try and make the narrative go away. Some of us medicate because of the things and maybe on the bottle or some other substance that we take to try and get us away from the thoughts of the past. Some of us allow the reputation of the past to become the thing that identifies us and becomes our identity into the future. Some of us allow our past to be the thing that leads with us into every story and every relationship we build. Some of us actually think if we repeat the past, maybe the memory back there will be replaced by something a little bit different. See, for so many of us, our past has become the limitation our future, but God's love and God's grace is more powerful than your past. God wants to break apart the limitations that our past places on the relationship that He has for our future. If you think your past limits the love that God has in His heart for you, God wants to help you understand the depth and the extravagance of both His love and His grace. It's time to lift off the self-imposed limit of your past so that you can live in the fullness of God's blessing for your future. I get the worship team to come join me. But as they do, here's a word of encouragement to some of us. When you encounter God's grace, when you come face to face with God's forgiveness and God's grace, there's a response that's demanded from that. It's not that you sit in a place of repentance and on your knees because the Bible tells us that when God forgives us, he removes those transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. Go find the east and see if it ever meets the west. It's a beautiful picture of just how far God removes that mess from us. But the response that God's grace demands is a response of worship. Now, here's one of the challenges some of us are going to have to confront today. Because some of us experience God's grace and God's love, yet we don't move out of the the narrative of our past. And while ever we're stuck in that narrative, we're not stepping forward into the, the thing that God's grace should lead us into. You can't change that narrative. You can't change those circumstances, but you can change the power that it has on your future. And so while ever we sit in the muck, And say, God, I need your love and your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for your grace. I am forgiven, but I can't move. We just find ourselves, God doesn't reach out his hand to us to leave us stuck. His love and his grace are poured out on you so you can move on. So you can move out of the mess. So that you can be redeemed. Some of us receive grace, but we choose not to step into it. So here's where the rubber for this really hits the road. Some of you have said this narrative in your heart for a long time. I can't do that because of who I am, who I was, what I've done. Now we live in a world where there's some consequences that follow us for some of the things we do. You know, we have to be aware and content with the fact that in the world we live in, we, we live within the laws and the realities of this world. But in terms of our relationship with God, Some of us haven't stepped into the things God has called us into because we keep living through the narrative of our past. But God's grace isn't poured out on you for you to live in the reality of your past. He pours his grace and his love out on you so you step into a brand new future. And he says through the prophet Hosea, it's like Israel is like an adulterous bride that's forsaken me and gone shacked up with another lover. But this is how deep my love is. Hosea, go find your wife. Pay whatever you need to do to redeem her and bring her back so she can live in your household and be your wife all the days of your life. That's exactly what God wants to do for you. Whatever muck you hold, whatever narrative you've got, whatever you've experienced back there that stops you moving forward into the things that God has for you, God says, I actually want to go and I'm going to find you in the midst of your mess and I'm going to pay whatever price, even if it's my own life, that's the price I will pay to redeem you out of your mess so you don't live in it, but so you. You walk into a brand new future with a brand new identity and a brand new spring in your step because this is not about you earning God's favor. This is about a favor that God has placed upon you. And now all he says is, I want you to live a life of worship. Go and give the best of your future to me. Don't live your future through the narrative of what was. Live your future through the redemption of what is, through the price that has been paid. Go and live a life of worship to me because my love and my grace has restored you and redeemed you and forgiven you and made you whole. Some of us right now are stuck in the past. Some of us haven't moved into God's future for something that happened so far back there that nobody else here would even know about it or remember it, but it's still so pertinent to us, and I believe God, by His Holy Spirit, wants you to have a deeper revelation of His grace and His love, so you stand with your head held high, saying, this isn't about me. Here I am, a broken, sinful person redeemed by the grace and the love of God. God, let's do this. God has a brand new future for a whole bunch of you. The only thing that's standing in the way is the limit that you place on him because of the story of your past. The psalmist captures it so beautifully. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed his transgressions from us. And holy God, we stand here today every one of us dependent on your grace and overwhelmed by your love. Lord, every one of us has done things. We've made decisions. We've acted in a way that's broken your heart, that's grieved your heart. We've stepped away from the things of God. We've put our hope in other things. We've bowed our knee to other gods. But God, your love for us is deeper than any sin. And God, just like Hosea went and paid the price to redeem Goma, Jesus, you went to the cross to pay the price to redeem us. God, I want to pray for those of us right now that are stuck. Stuck in a circumstance, stuck in a story, stuck in something that happened a long time ago, a bad decision we made, a bad choice that we made, a wrong step. God, those, those moments that Fill us with guilt and shame and regret. But God, your grace and your love comes to wash us and clean us and cleanse us. and Give us a new hope and a new future. Not because of anything we deserve, Jesus, but because of your love. Because, Lord, there is no limit to your love. Come on, church, let's stand this morning. I just reckon we need to respond by just worshipping. the end of the service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come and receive prayer. If right now you feel stuck, God wants something new for your future. He wants you to not just understand His love and His grace. He wants you to experience His love and His grace. And He wants you to send you in a brand new future that's an act of worship to His goodness. Come on, let's sing. We hope you've been blessed by this message.